Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to episode number 561 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell and today Meredith Goldstein is joining me. Meredith is the host of the Boston Globe's Love Letters podcast and she's been writing their Love Letters advice column for years. The newest season of Love Letters has just arrived and this season is all about money and how money affects relationships. So we are going to talk about the stories from the couples that are featured in the season and what she's learned about love and relationships, writing an advice column about love and relationships for so long. I will have links in the show notes to where you can find the Love Letters podcast, where you can find the advice column and where you can find Meredith. I love, 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 love doing podcasts with podcasters. It is so fun because I get to make sure that everyone knows about a cool show and I get to have cool conversations. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and thank you to our Patreon community. In a recent bonus episode for the Patreon community, I mentioned that it's a really scary and dark and crappy time in the media world where every day there's news of more layoffs and publications closing and that kind of thing. And the support for this show means so very, very much, especially right now. So thank you to the Patreon community for keeping me going and making sure that every episode has a transcript. Hello, garlic knitter. I have a compliment this week, which is so much fun. To Melissa R., two people who do not know each other, just wrote long journal entries in two different languages. And both entries are about how much they wish they could be friends with someone who is exactly like you. 
If you would like a compliment of your very own or you'd like to support the show, have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. Monthly pledges start at $1 and Patreon community members get a really lovely Discord. Hello, Discord folks. You get bonus episodes and you get to help me, you know, ask questions to different guests and cause all kinds of mayhem on the internet. It's really fun. So if you're interested, please have a look. This episode is brought to you in part by Ritual, which, as you might have heard, is my favorite nerdy vitamin. Perfection is impossible, so please let yourself off the hook with Ritual. Ritual knows it's almost impossible to get every nutrient you need 100% of the time, so they made a multivitamin that helps you complete any gaps to support your health. I have told you many times that I am a set it and forget it kind of person. I like solutions that are easy, that I can trust, that I don't have to think about, and I love Ritual because it is so simple. I never have to remember to order more. And because I know what ingredients are there and why they're there and where they came from. Inside the Essential for Women 18 Plus, there's a traceable supply chain. It's in the packaging. You can look up and see where each piece came from and why it's there. With nine key nutrients in two capsules a day, even their unique beadlet in oil design is patented. The Essential for Women is also one of the few women's multis that's USP verified, meaning that what's on the label is what's in the formula. It's soy-free, gluten-free, vegan-friendly, and formulated without GMOs. Instead of striving for perfect health, aim for supporting foundational health. Great news. Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off during your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash Sarah to start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. All right, let's do this podcast episode on with my conversation with Meredith Goldstein. I'm Meredith Goldstein, the longtime advice columnist at the Boston Globe, who also hosts its Love Letters podcast. And hey. I also write, write some books, some of which are a little romantic. What are your books? Please tell us the books. In reverse order, they are the young adult novels, Things That Grow mm-hmm. and Chemistry Lessons. And then I have a memoir about being an advice columnist called Can't Help Myself. And my first novel was called The Singles in 2012, which was uh, very much about being single at a lot of weddings. Oh, yes. And there was a very specific time when books about being single were extremely popular. I wish they would come back. Yeah, it's funny. When I think about that book, I mean, it was literally called The Singles, which as a Gen X person, I was like, but there's a movie called Singles. And um, I had named the book The Minus Ones uh, for Plus Ones. And I still wish that had been the title because I just feel like everything I got in that era uh, of my 20s at that point was like, who's your plus one? Do you have a plus one? Am I getting a plus one? And yeah, it seemed like we really wanted to explore that experience. I think the minus one is a great title and you should keep hold on to that title. Like, don't give. I'll just call it that. Yeah, I'll just exactly. (laughs) So congratulations on the latest season of Love Letters. I know that each season focuses on a different element. And tell me about season eight. And also congratulations on eight seasons. Eight seasons. I mean, I'm I'm really excited. I so when I was approached to do a podcast by the the globe. I was like very tech not savvy. Uh-huh. I wasn't listening to that many podcasts and I wasn't listening them t- to them correctly. And I'm such an old school advice columnist, right? Like I I just was like, I get a letter, I answer at the end. And I didn't want to do that in a podcast, right. like just r- riff on a letter. I mean, Cheryl Strayed was doing that. At the, you know, there were other people doing that. So we really wanted to tell these like juicy narrative stories where people really told me from start to finish a thing that happened to them. 
And I remember looking at everyone at the Globe that was involved and saying, I want the entire first season to be about getting dumped. And I said, I want it to be like Serial, but for getting dumped. And they all looked at me because Serial was really in its, you know, first heyday. And they were like, I don't even know what that is. Like Serial for getting dumped, right? Like, what are you investigating? What's happening? And I was like, no, no, no. I want every aspect of what it feels like to go through a breakup to be covered. And they actually said to me, I don't think there's enough there. And I was like, oh, Whoa, there no. is. Oh, there is. And and so I could have done three seasons on breakups, but we only did the first season about breakups. And the second season was about how to meet someone. I mean, we really hit all of these different topics over the years, including lessons learned at different ages and uh, big changes. Uh, but for season eight, I was like, the thing that we keep not talking about, but that is so there is money. Yes. And it's something I'm not that great with. Like I'm not terrible with it, but I'm not great with it and people are struggling and sometimes they're not struggling at all and there's a lot of shame around it. You know, they say that a lot of marriages break up because of sex and money and I wanted to sort of talk about whether that's true and I did a call out for stories about money and love. Oh, I'm and sure no one had anything to say at all. Everyone was like, "Money? That's well, not a problem for anyone at all." No. It's it's interesting because this was the first time that when I put out the call out, my own friends and family, people in my life texted me and said, boy, do I have a story to tell if I felt comfortable telling it? Which oh, I wow. So this was the first. These are people who are willing to say anything on my podcast to them, to each other, to themselves. But this crossed a line in a really interesting way of like, well, I would never talk about that. And that's why I knew it was going to be a really good season, because the people who are willing to share, and I have to be so grateful for them, are talking about something that that just is awkward and sometimes really cringy and scary. And I have noticed that a lot of the people who are most ashamed are the people who have the most because they know they have the most. So, you know, this isn't just about wealth and who hasn't and who doesn't, but you know, our first episode, for instance, is about financial infidelity. So how do you even define that? And what is it? And what does it look like? And is it forgivable? Oh, my goodness. I have a bunch of questions. now. Okay. First, why do you think there's a line that people are not comfortable talking about money? This is something they grew up maybe not knowing about their own household, their parents. This was the ultimate, we can't mention it thing. And in fact, so many of the people I've interviewed said, I thought we were one way growing up with money, but it turned out we were in a different position. I thought we didn't have anything, but it turned out my parents were good savers. Like they didn't know, they didn't ask. And it seems like a grown up thing that you don't talk about. And then it's rude. And this is, you know, tr transcends into do we talk about our salaries now? Yeah. One of, the, one of the most awkward and wonderful parts of making this season was two producers in a room with me were all Boston Globe employees. And a guest asked us, well, how much money do you all make? And my instinct was to say, oh, we can't talk about that. I, that seems weird. I, I, my instinct was to, to say, I don't know if we're comfortable sharing. We're colleagues. And what if we make different amounts? And what? And we did share. Uh -huh. And it was very cathartic. And it wasn't actually that surprising in terms of what we, we made and how it stacked up. There is a certain sort of, is it rude? Is it my business? And what if people find out that I have more mm -hmm. or feel bad about you know, not having what I have. So I think I think that's it. I mean, sex is still pretty up there. Yeah. In terms of not just what's taboo, but when you're not having sex, it can be difficult to talk about. Yeah. 
think when you're having it, it's like kind of amazing to talk about sometimes. (laughs) Or if you have problems with having sex or you don't understand an element of your sexuality or your physical body doesn't do the things that you expected it to do, that can be really difficult to talk about as well because you feel like, like you said, you feel like you're not enough. You don't have enough. You aren't enough. And that's a very difficult feeling to articulate past. I also think it's interesting that right now we're in the golden age of television about rich people. Oh my gosh. Have you noticed that? Everybody is super wealthy. It's like, it's like dynasty with angst. Yes. And it's, and, and some of it is, is mocking this wealth gap. And then the next second, it is making you remember that you can have all the money in the world and be completely devastated as a person. So I I have, I wonder about pop culture and it's, ability to make just a regular guest on my podcast feel ashamed that they didn't have student loans. Mm-hmm. And, and even the the national conversation about debt and, and different kinds of debt, I, we're just very aware of it right now. So I think it's a perfect time to do this season because people are already thinking about, well, what does it mean that I don't have enough? Or what does it mean that I do have enough? Yeah. And, and always, you know, there are people who are on the podcast who legitimately have enough. Mm-hmm. And they say, you know, I, I'm 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 in the middle. I'm somewhere in the middle. And they know that, but they don't see the the big, vast middle that there is. Yeah. They're comfortable. And, oh, okay. Does that mean yeah, you're comfortable and, and, flying privately? Like how how are you comfortable? <laughs> right. Or are you in an area where you are uncomfortable, but it's because you were in that area. So geography is a huge part of this too. Oh, absolutely. Um a lot of this is just though about personal philosophies with money and people realizing what's important to them. Yes. So the episodes really just get into, even if you never think about it, you have a philosophy about what you treat yourself to, whether you allowed yourself to have credit card debt, where you come from, and how that affects how you love and who you love. And money is really hard, I think, to talk about because it's tied up in class and it's tied up in a sense of self-worth. And it's also tied up in, you know, all of the horrible colonialist white supremacy that we're still trying to untangle as well. It's very thorny. So I I am very curious, what were some of the most interesting stories from this season? And what is financial infidelity? Is that spending money that you're not telling your your partners about? It's yes, and it is, you know, basically lying, uh, you know, and and acting without consent in that way, but also just hiding hiding the truth really can be any sort of financial infidelity. And in our premiere episode, which I adore, and it is actually quite a feel-good episode, a person who is a longtime reader of my column explains in great detail how um, specifically responsible they became with money over time. They had a job growing up and spent too much, yeah, mostly on uh, like I-, I imagine them going to Hot Topic, yeah. <laughs> You know, they were they were a teenager, sort of early 20s, like buying a bunch of stuff they couldn't afford. And they realize that they have to do better and they become maybe too much better. Like they become the person at the group dinner in their 20s who says, I only had a water. They are so concerned with saving. They they're, They're all these responsible things that I fundamentally, you know, fundamentally was not. And when they couple up, they get married. They have a wonderful life set up. They negotiate a very difficult negotiation of non-monogamy in their relationship. So they have wonderful communication skills with their partner about complicated topics, about boundaries and, and how, how to, how to set up a life. Mm -hmm. And then they found out 
that their spouse has $33,000 of secret credit card debt. And this is interesting Uh to me. This is an interesting piece of the story, which is that the fact that they're able to negotiate many things that others don't even try to negotiate. This idea of how do we set up a marriage where we live together, where we see other people, when is that okay? Things that other people might have difficulty talking about. Yeah. But they still were not talking about money. And they knew it. They knew it. They knew that one of them was always a little bit short and broke, and but but he was making more money. So what was happening there? And finally, and it's better listen because they tell the story so much better than I can. They get to a place and they say, what is the secret? What is the secret? And the secret is there's $33,000 of secret credit card debt. And they are married at this point. And this was the first time that I really realized that you can be a married couple and have the joint bank account and the two separate bank accounts, right? Like that's a a way a lot of people do it. Mm -hmm. We're going to put in the thing, you know, and, but you're still married. So that debt's yours. You can play it any game you want, unless you have some other contract that says it's not. And they then have to figure out, well, how much of a betrayal is this? Yeah. Can we get over it? And how did this happen? And I don't want to spoil it, but I think I was waiting for this big answer to what the $33,000 was spent on. Like, was it a secret addiction problem, this, that. And um, all I can say to hint is that these are two people who enjoy LARPing, as in live action role play. Oh, oh, dear. That And that LARPing comes with costs. Yes, That's it all does. I'm going to say about that. Yes, so, it does. Oh, my uh, gosh. I have been thinking a lot about if I were in $33,000 of credit card debt for something I adored to do, like, or collect, what would it be? And I've just decided it would be coats. Like, that really like great a, coats. Solid, absolutely. Yeah. Solid, so, so solid the, choice. So that episode is is important to me because it it seems like, I mean, there's a happy ending at the end of this. This is a couple that is together and adores each other. So mm-hmm. how do they get there? How do they get over that lie? Especially when one of them is so fundamentally, like, you know, worried about money all the time. Yeah. The other episode, you talk about the patriarchy and things we're trying to escape. This one sort of really affected me. I wanted to do a story about the cost of being single because, you know, we're talking about this a lot of like couple philosophies and how do you deal with this coming from two backgrounds and as a team. Um, But a lot of people are just doing this by themselves. And And there's definitely attacks on being single. Things cost more for one that are just silly. So much more. And just the little things add up and you get a different kind of freedom with that. And as somebody who has never lived with the significant other, I will tell you that it's nice to not worry about what somebody else wants in a couch. Like I'll pick the couch I want. Thank you very much. But I have to buy the couch by myself. Yeah. (laughs) So it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's difficult. Um, But I was shocked. I wanted to talk to two Gen Z-ish people. I want to talk to people in their twenties about dating now And this was the episode where we talked to two straight people who are on apps. And it is a very, you know, this is not just one monolith of an experience, but we talked to a a woman and a man. And what they both said was, the man is expected to pay. Oh, boy. And I, at 45, was like, still? Like, I really thought that in a Venmo culture where things are easily divided, they were going to tell me like this is a thing that happened to you that doesn't or that ha- that is part of a different generation. Oh, and I am sure there are exceptions to this rule for sure. And that, but I was shocked at two people from different regions of the country, uh, different places, you know, in in their worlds, 
it, they said they felt like this was um, a tradition that stuck and wow. they don't know why it hasn't gone away. So, you know, it's a very old idea that you're demonstrating that you have the resources to care for another person who's going to move from their family's house into your home and run your house for you. And you're proving that you have the, the yeah. funds to do that. It's a very, very old expectation. It, I felt like I had gone into a weird time machine and that I thought this was that moment of like, how, how come? Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Certain things just don't go away. And yet, these are two people who are looking for love pretty aggressively. They want to couple up. They want to be partnered, which is very normal. And they're like, the cost of this, you know, is very difficult. And we talked about the one of the beautiful things that came out of a difficult time of 2020 of people taking walks. Yeah. And having these free dates because people couldn't go anywhere. Yeah. And how to bring that back. Oh, Especially yeah. when the weather gets nice. Like, what if we just got a coffee and walked in a circle? Yeah. But this but this was a great thing we catch. learned. Yeah. Yeah. So um that is another one of my favorite episodes of just my shock that some of these traditions remain and you know, everybody could be saving a lot of a lot of money. To be it's honest, really wild because I'm I'm in a, a a Discord community and someone was talking about how they've had a much easier time finding a therapist than finding a partner. And it's not that easy to find a therapist. And it's these not days, that easy so... to find a therapist either. But that's wow. so hard. It's so hard. Well, it it's difficult and and not surprising to hear that based on the kind of letters I get and yeah. the kind of stories I hear. It's wild that this season is coming out because a couple of uh, days ago, there was that article that went absolutely bonkers viral about women who earn more than their male partners and the division of household labor and un unspoken labor and emotional labor that falls on them. And that it's it's a giant struggle. Is that something that you talk about as well? It, it is. And we happen to find this great story, actually, somebody I know in my real life. And she is very hilariously admits that Sometimes she wishes her husband, who got an MBA, would be the kind of guy who made a ton of money with an MBA. Like, he likes his job and he makes a good salary, but he's not like a, you know, he's not bringing wealth into the home. Right. And she feels awful for having these feelings about him and has shared them with him sometimes. And and then what becomes very funny is we go through all of the types of labor that happen in their house. Yeah. They have two children, right? So, and what becomes 
absolutely clear is that he is doing all of it, not all of it, but a lot of it, that he is the primary caregiver to the children, that he is cooking everything, that he is cleaning everything. And so this was like this wonderful exception where she had a moment of, oh, well, if he was the guy who made all that money, maybe he would not be emotionally available for all of these things. Yeah. Because like you said, the labor of house and home and childcare and just managing a bunch of people who live in the same place, that's a lot of work. And it is not compensated, but it has great value. And when you take it away, you, you it's still hard to quantify unless you sit down and really look. Yeah. And some of it is actually quantifiable when you talk about, you know, caretaking for a home. Yeah. It can be very quantifiable. And then there's this extra this extra support that's provided just being there yeah. and being in a good mood, oh, which yeah. is of value. You know, this is something she counts on. This spouse that makes her laugh and listens to her ideas and all of that might go away if he were making four times as much money. And I'm not sure it would be the trade-off she wants. No, I, I would be willing to bet no. So I understand from my correspondence with your team that your reading of Regency romances had some influence in, and informed this season. Tell me, how did your reading of romance and Regency romance inform this season? Very, very directly. And I, and I have to say, just because, you know, I'm a fan of what you do and oh. and I, I can imagine that your audience is exactly who I want to hang out with, like on a Saturday night. Come hang out. I got to Regency Romance in a really roundabout way, and I never thought I would like it because I'm a vampire girl. And Fair. you could talk about the economics of, of vampires all night. I think a lot about how much money different vampire romance families would have, generational wealth, my times a thousand. Like, right? <laughs> like, imagine the worries, though. Like, all right, the market's going down and I'm literally going to live forever. God damn it. Yeah, what do you do, (laughs) right? But but your accounts probably look pretty good. So I went from vampires to werewolves because you you hit the wall. And then from werewolves, there's something about werewolves that can carry over to people writing about Scotland. Oh, absolutely. I I, I can't quite give you an A to B on that. You probably can tell me, but... So then I'm like, well, I like this author, and I can't remember the first author uh, author that made me go over to like, okay, I'm a Scottish werewolf. Now I'm just Scottish. <laughs> and it's 17-whatever, and now it's 18-whatever. So there's this weird, like, gateway drug vibe of uh, werewolves into Regency romance that I'm sure someone smart has written a paper about where I was like, well, maybe I'll try this series, then that series, and then the next thing you know, I'm like you know, waist deep in Tessa Dare novels. What I also found in Discovering Regency, which many readers know, obviously, is how delightfully modern they are. And, you know, Sarah McLean is brilliant at this, right? Of, of read, you know, you read a page and you're like, oh, well, that's like now. <laughs> oh, well, that's like what it's like now. Yep. And this concept that a love match is a rarity or an exception to the rule or not guaranteed And it makes you think of, well, that's all we get married for now. So we would say. But these books make no secret of the fact that these are financial agreements, Mm -hmm. that they are business arrangements. And of course, they have the horribleness of women's property and rights being tied up not to them. Yeah. Uh, Which 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 can kind of exist now in many different forms. Which definitely exists now in different forms. Yeah. But but they call it what it is, which is. In doing this, we are making a little business. 
And how is that little business going to run? And who's going to run it? And I love when these books talk about the children like not being present. They're elsewhere. They're with staff. And and then you begin to think about all the people that manage the Bridgerton home. Oh, and <laughs> the, the homes, they have a whole crew. Sure, right? And And you have like your little like, you know, kingdom of properties and help to run them and tenants. And, you know, most of the time, these stories focus on the people who have the most, and we don't have to worry about many other people. Although I can think of characters who are brought into this world who have nothing in the romances that they get to be a part of it, right? But I love the honesty about it, because I wish that in whatever form we do it now, it's still a contract. And we can have a pretty wedding, and we can wear amazing things and have our best friends stand next to us as wedding party members, but we're still signing something that ties us like a business to each other. Yeah. And there'll have to be a disillusion of that business if it doesn't work. And I think that if we spoke about that with uh, more realism and talked about the love almost in its own column as, as a, as a, as a fuel for this, but, but it is not, fully tied to the agreement we're making. Yeah, there's there, the love between the people involved is part of the why this is happening. But you also have to acknowledge the other elements of the why this is happening. Yeah. And for a lot of these characters, the love was never part of the why or never an expected part of the no, why. So, was, we're, you know, we're in a world where we don't have to do this to own property or to have a property period. So the love is the why. Yeah. Sometimes. sometimes. Uh, not not for everybody, but sometimes. Or for a lot of people, they like to think it's the why. And I I just thought, I want to talk about this the way these characters do, where they, they're saying to each other, well, if I marry you, the spinster school I've been running isn't mine anymore. I mean, I love that kind of story, right? Where you have a, an independent woman in Regency times who has somehow found her way to independence through the death of a relative, through... Um, you know, through the death of a relative, through someone in her life handing her something that yeah. she might not otherwise be entitled to. And then she has to decide, do I want to give up this independence to couple? Yeah. And what does that mean? And I think that's a reality, too, that when we get together and we tie ourselves to someone or more than one person, we are saying, I'm going to I'm going to bet on you in an interesting way. So it, it's really uh, I don't mean to make it sound unromantic because these are romance novels and they're beautiful and course, everything works out in the end. But I love that Regency in particular just gets right into the contract of it all. Yeah, because it is for, first and foremost a contract. Yeah. And you have to consider money and wealth, station, property, class. Marrying across yeah, well, class lines is a big old deal. That system of uh, in in a season where people are shopping for spouses. Yeah. It's so unromantic and yet so true and so um, important to call it what it is. And how many seasons of The Bachelor do we have now? Oh, my gosh. Like a zillion. Yeah. And and that's, you know, that may you may have just given me the fuel I need to find a way in to The Bachelor, because as an advice columnist, people always assume oh, well, you must love The Bachelor. And, And I find it like I get very anxious. And oh, I cannot. I can't do it, but maybe that's the way in. Maybe if I think of it in those terms, I can like find something to appreciate about it. But I, I, I don't know. <laughs> it, I can't because one of the foundations of reality television is to 
make sure that you have people who will play characters who will create conflict. And because the conflict is being generated partially by the producers and then partially by that contestant slash character, I don't trust that there's a resolution that is going to be satisfying or healthy or even something I want to watch. And also, I get terrible secondhand embarrassment. And a lot of The Bachelor is just secondhand embarrassment in high-heeled shoes, and I cannot. Yeah, I will tell you that I do love the show Burning Love. And I can't remember what that's streaming on now, which is a parody of I've heard The Bachelor, which is wildly funny and so well done. And I have also read Bachelor Nation, which is a book about the Bachelor, which I found enlightening. And, and it speaks to right? what you're talking about, about what these contestants go through and they're cut off from realities and they're applied with alcohol. And it's yep. like this, this, you know, fight or flight yeah. time like in their lives. on steroids. Oh, yeah. And so I, I actually found a lot more interest in reading about the experience of doing it than watching it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't know if it's for me, but that might be my way in of considering it a marriage mart kind of comparing it to the Regency Bucks. So based on this season and on prior seasons and all of the all of the advice that you've given, what are your most effective pieces of advice for people about love and relationships? What's, what things do you find yourself saying other than, okay, you need to talk about money <laughs> to yeah, a lot yeah. of people? Yeah, I think the, the you need to talk about money thing applies to a lot of of, of moments in life where yeah. you sort of just swallow this thing that is too hard to say. I think my big thing after doing this many seasons and also just, you know, reading mm-hmm. advice column letters reading for so long. Advice columns. Yeah. Is that I think people are really hard on themselves and hard on each other. And I hear the word failure a lot, failed marriage, failed relationship. I hear wasted yes. time. And I don't, I have been dumped a lot of times and certainly not pulled off relationships well yeah. in the past and and also failed well here i'm using it too not been great at dating gone years at a time without paying much attention to it not given it the investment and i'll look back and just like letter writers i'll say well i really you know i was i was failing at that and i don't see any of these things as failures i don't see divorces as failed marriages i no. I, I think you know, there's this expectation that we're all going to like curl up and die, like at the end of the notebook, holding on to one partner who understood us. And, and, you know, thank goodness. Thank, thank goodness every day that we are not in a Nicholas Sparks book for so many reasons. Oh, dear God. Um, Like, let that be a, a, a gratitude point of, of all of our lives. Thank you for bringing me <laughs> here to this life that I'm not a Nicholas Sparks character. Amen. Yeah, That's it, a very it is. righteous prayer right there. <laughs> it, it, it is. It feels real good to me to yes. say, uh, <laughs> yes, let us all be characters in some, and I'd, I'll slip into a Tessa Jair book actually while, while I'm here and talking about her, but heck not. Um, yeah. With some more rights, probably, in a, you know, maybe with an inhaler, uh, <clears throat> some, some modern day medicine. But I, I think that, you know, hopefully we live a long time and we have to do a lot of stuff and we can't possibly do all the romance stuff right and stick with it. Otherwise, we would never get to the next thing. Yeah. So anytime people feel like, oh, I really blew it with that. And, oh, I, you know, I, I, I failed. Anytime you feel like you're using that word, it's really not true. No. I, I, and even when you feel like you've failed someone else, where you've hurt someone, where you've let them down, you can apologize and be better next yeah. time. And so I just, I, that's what I, I would say. And I think with, with this season in particular, so many people are very quick to also say, well, I, I failed with money or 
I failed at sharing and they just learn something and it's, it's not, it's not forever. It's it's not so black and white and we're kind of all just moving along, figuring it out. Yeah. One of the, one of the most impactful things I read, I think last year was just because something ends doesn't mean that it's a failure. Yes. Yes. And, and I have to catch myself. Like I had to catch myself in this conversation of, of saying that I was failing at dating. And I think the letter writers are just so hard on themselves. And in these stories, they can start one way yeah, and end in a much, much better place. So I, I'm grateful for the time with these people to really go through and say like, well, what, but, but what did you learn here? And then they learned all these beautiful, wonderful things and now they're teaching us. So, you know, not to sound too hokey about it, but it 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 is a, it's, it's always much better. And sometimes people are learning things on our behalf, so we don't have to. And what a nice thing for them to do. So, Absolutely. No question. Yeah. What books are you reading that you would like to tell people about? I always end with book recs. So I'm, I'm always about to do a reread for vampire purposes of, um, Single White Vampire. There is something about that book that every few years, it just makes me laugh really hard. Uh, I have been reading Kelly Bowen for the first time. Who, so it's, So this is the thing with Regency where like you'll see these authors that are recommended for you and and you just have to dive into that first one. And um, I'm forgetting the name of it, but your listeners will know of of it's, you know, a character is sort of a fixer. And, you know, there's a a ship captain Duke who walks in on her trying to get rid of a dead body. And what a meat, what a meat cute. Um, And so I am like really having a good time in in that moment and yeah then i'll redo some vampires for a bit so uh, i i just saw the news you know very recently about the twilight rebooting as a tv series and uh went on an emotional journey yeah oh yeah and and but what it reminded me was that there are a lot of series i love in the romance genre that i would like to revisit um well fun to go back it is, and and it reminds me of where I was in the moment oh, once I first heard the stories of sure. like what it what did it help me through? What is it helping me through now? And I remember in 2016, I was really into um, I'm just forgetting names right now, but the the vampire series, the Brotherhood with the oh J.R. Ward, the, the Black Dagger Brotherhood, yeah, yes. So every few years, I have to revisit one of those series that has 50,000 books where this could go on for a long time and really keep me happy for a bit. I have a recommendation for you. Oh, please, please. All right, there's a writer named Teresa Romaine, like the lettuce, okay. Romaine, um, originally published by Kensington. I think she got the rights back, but getting the rights back meant she needed to retitle the book. So her book originally called Season for Surrender is now called The Earl's Holiday Wager. Ooh, okay. And it is a Regency Christmas house party romance Ugh. with a guy who is fake faking being a carousing debaucherous rake and has a house party over christmas and there's a there's a there's a wager there's a bet about whether or not he can um defile the most innocent par- proper woman of the season and he's like this is a terrible bet but all right fine and uh he, he, they meet in the library she gets invited oh my to the house party you... it's 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 like all of my catnip. You're so close to telling me there's only one bed that I'm, <laughs> I'm so excited. Yep. It's it's lovely. It's one of my favorite, favorite thank, historical Thank romance. you for that. You're welcome. Thank you for that recommendation because I, I am, I'm all about a house party. Oh, so. yeah. So Wonderful. Where can people find you if you wish to be found? 
so the podcast is just love letters. Uh, it's got a you know a big heart. You'll see it. it says the Boston Globe on it wherever yep. you get your podcasts. And then if you want to read the column, it's boston.com slash love letters. And you know, feel free to send your quandaries, your your questions. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you again to Meredith and her team for setting up this interview. I will absolutely be linking to all of the places where you can find Meredith. But if you search love letters and you're using a podcast app right now, it should be there and you can give it a try. It's a great binging podcast. You can do a whole season and it's pretty fabulous. As always, I end each episode with a terrible joke. And this joke comes from my 15-year-old. But I have to tell you, my 15-year-old went and told his father this joke instead of coming directly to my office to tell me. And I had to find out about this joke by overhearing it. So this is an eavesdropping joke. Are you ready? What do you call someone with no body and no nose? Give up? What do you call somebody with no body and no nose? Nobody knows. I would say thank you, but you know, this joke wasn't brought to me. I just had to overhear it. Not that I'm bitter. (laughs) On behalf of everyone here, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a wonderful weekend, and we will see you back here next week. Smart Podcast Trashy Books is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more outstanding podcasts to subscribe to at frolic.media slash podcasts. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.